The material provided today is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered legal or financial advice. Consult with a financial professional for your own needs. Dixon & Company disclaims any and all liability for the interpretation and use of the content provided today. Have you ever wondered what questions are best to ask when interviewing a financial advisor? On today's episode, Ben and I dive into the top 10 questions to ask to get you the information you need to make an informed decision. Welcome to the Financial Edge Podcast. And welcome back to the Financial Edge Podcast. My name is Tyler Schweigert. Joining me is Ben Schamberger, CFP. Good afternoon. How are you, man? Man, I'm doing all right, dude. It's Friday. It's Friday. It is Friday afternoon, 150. In the, it's the cold, week. dude. It's cold, man. The weekend's closing in and it's cold. <laughs> it's like 34 degrees in my house this morning, which I was not prepared for. Oh, I know. I, I had to turn a heater on last night Yeah, in my room. One of those space heaters. <laughs> Welcome to North Carolina. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. Not quite as bad as North Dakota was, but that's okay. Uh, good point. Good yeah. point. Well, we're excited today, ladies and gentlemen, to bring you an episode that's going into what kind of questions to ask your financial advisor or financial planner when you're trying to interview one. Yeah. So, Ben, we have compiled a list of our top 10 questions. Yeah. What's the very first one? Yeah, so the very first one is a is educational background. And and let's be fair, you know, there's there's a million questions you could ask uh, a financial advisor, you know, when you're when you're interviewing him or her uh, about working with them and, and them with your money, but mm-hmm. probably a good, nice, easy starting point question that might actually cover a lot of ground is that question, which is, what is your educational background? Yeah. And I think another piece to that too, is asking if they have any type of accreditation. For example, you just got your certified financial planning designation, right? which is a years long process. It's a very, very long, tough, strenuous exam. It takes a lot of time to get. Yeah. So Having those types of accreditations could be a benefit to the client based off the amount of experience that that person might have or their general range of knowledge. Right. So you can kind of tie in um, to your point. You, you talked about two different words, experience and knowledge. You can really tie those two things together. So so at the conclusion of your interview, you can go back, you can look and see. You can yeah. even find this person. A couple of different ways to find them. Uh, there's a, a several different national search tools yeah. uh, for financial advisors where you can find people. Be careful of the uh, of the pay uh, the ones where you like pay money or something like that. I would always be careful of that, but you can always Google search a financial advisor. You can do brokercheck.com. Um, mm-hmm. That's a great one. Um, that's a really great resource to be able to go in and see their work history. Uh, it will, I think it lists their designations and yep. then um, any uh, certifications. So for example, the, uh, the series um, seven series 66, if you checked mine right now, it would show those. So it may not show the CFP yet, but yeah. Yep. That's a great point. All right. Second question is a big one. I know that it's something that you and I have talked about a lot, but it's, are you a fiduciary? Yeah. Ben, what's a fiduciary? Yeah. So a fiduciary is held to the highest standard of care and loyalty. Uh, but yeah, but it's, it's held to that standard. So when we look at one of the big questions that always comes up for clients is what is a fiduciary? And then how does that differ from the suitability standard? Uh, and why does that matter? Um, and so really when you're looking at that, it would be, think of somebody who is going to, let's say, manage a trust. So you, you have a family member and that family member, uh, lost their parents. And so now there's a trust that's set up in their name. Well, they have to have a fiduciary who's going to manage that 
uh, that trust, that trustee is going to carry a fiduciary responsibility for those trust assets, you know, for that minor child. And so when we look about that, it's really all about duty of care and loyalty uh, acting in, in the client's best interest. So that's really what the CFP and, and the fiduciary standard is all about. So yep. the, and then, so when you hear the suitability standard, that oftentimes can refer to an investment product or an insurance product where there simply just needs to be a standard of saying, okay, this is a suitable investment or insurance product for the client, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the advisor is acting in your best interest. It just means that the product is suitable. So not quite the same level of care. Right. That's very true. All right. Third question. Ben, if I wanted to ask a financial advisor, if I was asking them questions, I think it's a big one. Yeah. How do you get paid? Yeah, that's a great one. So there's kind of three basic ways inside of the industry that people get paid. One of them is what we call fee only. Mm -hmm. Another one is what's called fee based. And then the third one is through commissions. And so I'll talk about the first one and the third one, and then that will help inform you about the second one. So the fee only basically says, I only get paid through fees. Okay, well, Ben, well, what does that mean? Let's say, for example, if the advisor, he or she is managing your portfolio, they might be charging a a percentage of uh, the dollar amount of assets they hold for you. I'm going to use $100,000. If that if that advisor is managing $100,000 and they're charging you a 1% asset management fee, obviously you're going to pay $1,000 for their services for that year and that's going to be the total fee. Conversely, if we look at, you know, commissions, commissions are typically charged when you see insurance products. So mm -hmm. oftentimes you may not actually pay a bill directly to the advisor for an insurance product, like an annuity or a life insurance product of that nature. However, there's typically going to be uh, a cost that comes out and the advisor, he or she will get paid for that in the form of commissions. So then you have firms like ours, that's a hybrid type of a model approach where we have fees and commissions, meaning that while our primary focus in our business is on fee-based management, we still have access to insurance companies to be able to serve our clients in that way too. But because we have that fiduciary standard, if somebody has access to an insurance carrier that we don't have access to or somebody that's going to be able to provide them a better price for the same type of a service or product, then from that end, it's our duty as fiduciaries to recommend that they go with somebody other than us. Right. And so what's really neat about that is, is you can begin to identify the type of client that you're working with if you kind of understand those three different ones. So again, fee only, fee based would be number two, and then commissions. When we look at the, the difference between the three, one of the major differences is commissions. If you're talking to purely an insurance agent that works with an insurance firm, they don't have a... Uh, investment license, they're not dealing in securities, so stocks or bonds, chances are it's going to be, mm -hmm. you know, commission only. And again, there's nothing wrong with either one of the strategies. It's just important that you as a customer are aware and that you know who you're dealing with and how they get paid. You know, the commission, excuse me, the, the fee-based, there are a ton of advisors out there who are fee-based and a lot of them do that by and large, including ourselves. A lot of them do that by and large because um, when we look at, all right, well, you've got some fee only and then you've got some commissions you know, professionals out there. And for, for, I know me personally, it brings me great joy to work with a client, do what we do from a financial planning standpoint and from an asset management standpoint, and then work with their other financial professionals. However, if they don't have another financial service professional that they're working with or feel comfortable working with, 
on the insurance side of the table. To your point, we can go out, we can shop the market. We're independent brokers on the on the insurance side of it. We can shop the market and hopefully find them the best deal. And when we can't find them the best deal, like what happened with me yesterday, we simply let the client know and say, hey, like you're better off going over here if you want to do that. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes clients will choose to still continue to work with us because we have that relationship. Exactly. But again, that's where it all depends on knowing your advisor. 100%. The other piece of that too, is if they can't explain how they get paid in a simple way that it's easy for you to understand, right? probably not a good person for you to do business with. Keep interviewing. Yep. <laughs> All right. Next up, what is your investment philosophy? That's a good one. You want to tackle that one first? great one. Yeah. So when talking to a financial advisor, it's always important to know what their focus is on, how they view the economy, how they view the investments, or even their planning strategy, what it is that they think that determines their overall philosophy okay. because that's going to determine how they manage your money. Right. And if you don't agree with it or if you're not lined up with it, it might be something we need to continue interviewing around. Mm-hmm. All yeah. right. Great one. Next up, what type of clients do you work with or how do you work with your clients? Yeah. So this is a fun question. Uh, I think for a lot of people, if you're just starting out, you may or may not realize beforehand that an advisor you're talking to may have a specific niche of people that he or she prefers to work with or exclusively works with, or they may not have a niche at all and they just work with the broad general public. Either one is fine. Again, you just really want to know. Exactly. So let's say, for example, they're an advisor and they say, okay, well, we only work with divorcees and or widow or widower uh, individuals. Then now all of a sudden their entire focus or their specialty is work with those people. And it might be an extremely great fit for you. Or you might have somebody who says, hey, you know what? Most of our clients are business owners, small business owners, less than 10 employees. You know, they're in the service profession or whatever, or we only work with doctors or whatever. You just want to know that coming out of the conversation. Love it. Another thing to consider in that same question, the the second half of the question that you asked Tyler was, you know, how do we work together? And so that's really important as well. So for example, at Dixon and Company, well, there's a couple of things that we do with our clients. Not only do we manage money, but really on the forefront of that is the financial planning piece. So we really try and marry the two together, that being financial planning and then the investment management side of it. And we found here, at least for us and our clients, that that tends to lead to better outcomes just because we're able to add that much more value. You know, you can you can always drive a car somewhere. Right. But if you know where you're going ahead of time, then you're probably going to have a better experience. Yeah, that's true. I mean, sometimes the best vehicle to get you from here to Europe is going to be different than what your favorite vehicle is. For example, your favorite vehicle might be a Lamborghini. Right. The Lamborghini is not going to get you to Europe. Right. So planning allows us to figure out the best vehicle to achieve whatever the goal is and allows us to back into how much risk do we need to take? Why do we need to take that type of a risk? Is it worth taking that kind of risk? And that serves a client better long term. Yeah. All right. Next up, we got, where do you keep my money? Yeah, where do you keep my money? So this is a interesting question. I think I actually found uh, this particular question online, but it, it's a relevant question. And sometimes it's asked as, who is the custodian is another way that people will ask that question. Right. So where do you keep my money and, and how do I see it? You always want to make sure that 
the relationship that you have with an advisor and an advisory firm is very clear and transparent. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so there's a lot of good reputable companies out there who use all kinds of different custodians. When I mean custodian, if you haven't ever heard that word before, really think of something like TD Ameritrade, who's currently our custodian. You might think of a Fidelity Investments, Vanguard, Charles Schwab. Uh, some of the other big key, uh, names out there. So as long as you can know and see and find who their custodian is, and then also being able to gain immediate access to kind of see things even before the money gets going, to, to know kind of, hey, what's my online login? How do I access my accounts? How often can I see them? How do I get my statements? All those questions are kind of tied into that last thing of where's my money and, and how do I have access to it? I'm telling you, transparency is a big deal in this industry. So especially when you're interviewing whoever it might be that you're considering working with, knowing that they're transparent, not only with their practices, but that you can see your accounts, you can see the trading history, you can see what they're doing with your money, especially if you've given them discretion over your account when it comes to trading. Mm -hmm. That's that's a big deal. And then how quickly do you have access to your money? Barring some of the tax implications. For example, if you have an IRA, and you're below age, you know, 59 and a half, mm-hmm. or whenever the age comes that you don't have to pay penalty on that. Goodness, yeah, you, there's probably a good reason why you don't want to touch that money, and they might advise you accordingly. Right. However, for say something like a brokerage account, or even if you did need to tap into one of those accounts, whatever the circumstance might be, knowing how quickly you can access those funds is still an integral part of the interviewing process. Exactly. It's all about transparency. All right, next up, what do we got, Ben? Yeah, the next one is, is any of your compensation based on selling products? Ooh, I really like that one. Yeah. Knowing that, for example, in some companies, they have mutual funds that they will earn what's called a 12B1 fee. Interesting. Which mutual funds will call that a marketing fee. Okay. That 12B1 fee is an additional fee on top of whatever they might be charging you as a client to manage your money. It's built into the mutual funds that they're putting you in. So sometimes we've seen where clients are spread out across tons of different mutual funds and every single one of those mutual funds is charging them an additional 12B1 fee. So instead of your fee being, say, 1%, it might be upwards of 2% or 2.5% once it's all said and done because of the fees that these mutual funds are charging. Okay. So it's important to know, are they making commission off of the mutual funds that they're investing you in? Are they making commission off of some of the different products, like the privately placed products that they might recommend to you, yeah. off of the REITs, off of the ETFs, off of any of their investment selections, especially if they have discretion? Are they making commissions based off of how many times they trade your account? Right. That's a concept called churning, mm-hmm. which is, hey, if I trade your account, do I make some money off of that? Right. If I trade your account more, am I making more money off of that? So if you see repetitive trading in your account for maybe not a very good reason, that's an indicator. Yeah. On the back side of that, there's also companies like ours that have what's called a wrap fee program, mm-hmm. meaning that we cover the costs of your trading. So what's the danger there? The danger there is, is that if they don't trade your account, if they set it and forget it because they're trying to avoid trading costs, right? Yeah. So the thing that I've always respected ever since I came here to Dixon & Company is that Mike has always taught us do right by the person that's in front of you. Right. Even when it comes to trading and trading costs, if it means getting a client out of a bad position because it was necessary, we did it Yeah. all the time. It didn't matter if we had to front the, the costs back to the client because that's what we said we were going to do. Right. And it's always important, but it's still something worth checking and asking your advisor about regardless. 
And, and to that point, Tyler, you were getting ready to ask me a question a second ago. My mind was, was going to this point. But when we talk about trading, you might be wondering, okay, well, why is that such an important thing? Well, one, you can Google search if you want to the word, you know, investment churning and see all kinds of really bad articles out there. And we're not yeah. saying that every investment advisor is bad, but we want you to, to walk into this thing with full awareness of any potential kind of fees that you might have. Two, if you have a smaller portfolio and the advisor is only trading a couple of times a year, okay, well, that's not really a big deal. But if you have a small or even a large portfolio and you have several hundred positions and they're trading all the time, I have seen scenarios where people have racked up thousands upon thousands of dollars of trading fees and they didn't know why and they didn't right. know what was going on. And they were thinking all I'm paying for is this investment management fee when they were paying for the management fee and the trading fees. Right. There's a reason why our industry is so heavily regulated mm -hmm. and it's unfortunate, but that's why being able to ask some of these questions on the front end before you start working with whoever your investment professional is is so critical to your long-term wealth creation yeah because the things that will kill wealth are some of these nickel and dime costs or some of these little percentages that you don't know about that look if, if you're being charged two percent that's two percent you have to overcome before you make a profit exactly in a year and let's say the s p 500 only does three percent a year well if that's the case the majority of of whatever you made is not going to your account because you're paying for that performance right but at the same time, an advisor, because the, the market doesn't always go up, right. right? So that means, hey, there might even be some years your, your account goes down and you're still paying your advisor. So A, you want to know why you're still paying them. Exactly. That's a great question. And if they're getting mad about that, look, this is your money. Nobody cares more about your money than you do. Yeah. Not even your advisor. Right. But we do care about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to clarify that. However... It's not a bad thing to ask those questions. But on the flip side of that, on a down year, your advisor does not control the market. Right. Can't control the market. Your advisor will provide you good advice for the services that they're providing and yeah. you're paying for it. That's right. Right? Now, whether or not that always causes your account to go up, they can't guarantee that. Nobody has a crystal ball. Right. So placing the expectation on your advisor, whoever they may be, mm -hmm. is, is not reasonable. Yeah. But at the same time, if they're helping you, if they're providing you good advice, and they're helping your account to grow or sustain in a down market, mm -hmm. that's that's a good type of an advisor to have. So I want to give uh, our listeners two quick tips today to that point that you were just talking about. This is all super good. So one quick tip is, is if you haven't started working with an advisor and you kind of want to find out more about these fees, but maybe asking the question is a little bit hard, you can always ask them to provide you an investment advisory contract whether it be blank form or whether it be, you know, that you've had half of the conversation and they want to give you a proposal, you can ask for that investment advisory contract, or you can also ask for a, a fee uh, schedule or fee summary. And that advisor should be more than willing. And most advisors will already have kind of a one page, you know, simple summary document like we do, where we can show our clients exactly what their fees are and how that looks, even have an example breakdown of a fee calculation, something like that. So that would be really, really good. And you can ask for that with a company like ours, or even a, a big firm like Fidelity before they put you in Fidelity, Schwab, you know, any one of the big firms should be able to show you your fee schedule and, and some of your fees before you ever get into something. On the flip side of that coin, if you're already working with an advisor and this is now becoming something that you're thinking about, maybe you have this question, okay, what fees am I paying for? You can always ask that advisor to give you a statement. If you're not sure where to find your statements or you haven't taken time to review a statement with your advisor, 
take time to do so in your next conversation and say, hey, show me exactly uh, where my fees are. You should be able to see it in the statement and or specifically what we call a billing statement as well. So a couple of places to get that information. Love that. And now, Ben, if somebody had questions and they wanted to follow up even on this podcast, where could they reach us if they just wanted to ask us some additional questions? on Another this great question. Yeah. So they can reach us at www.dixonwmdixonwmdixonwmdixonwmdixonwmdixonwmdixonwmdixonwmdixonwmdixonwmdixonwmdixonwmdixonwmdixonwmdixonwmdixonwmdixonwmdixonwmdixonwmdixon